Any of you ever feel that way? Like, man, I've made a mess of this whole thing. Made a mess of me. We're talking about that a little bit this morning. My name's Lad. I'm one of the teaching guys here at the church. Uh, If you haven't been here with us before, we call this the white box. There's a live service going uh, going on right now in what we call the red box, the red warehouse right next to us. So whether, you, uh, whether you're here on Sunday morning or in the Red Box, you get the same thing, and uh, we're glad to have you here this morning. I want to thank a lot of you uh, who were praying for uh, my family this week, and, or this week actually. Um, my son Crusoe, uh, he, I don't exactly know exactly how it happened, but he, uh, he was playing underneath a soccer, I, some of you guys know this and you were praying for us. He's playing underneath the soccer goal, watching his brothers play football, and the soccer goal fell apart, and it landed on his head. And uh, so he, we've been in the hospital all week at Primaries. By the way, Primaries is just an amazing hospital, and, uh, and he's good, and Crusoe is actually uh, in the front row. He's playing video games, so he's back to normal today. He... Uh, but he has, uh, if, you're into, if you're into staples and five-inch cuts, he's got one in the top of his head and uh, had a little fracture and some, some concussion stuff. So thanks for praying for him. And we're just so grateful uh, that it wasn't worse. So thanks for praying for us this week. Um, we're talking about unlikely heroes. And we started last week talking about the life of Moses and how God chooses the most unlikely of people. And this last couple of weeks has started uh, football season. We've never, we've never done kids' football before. How many of you guys have kids in football, right? It's like a full-time occupation, isn't it? It's, uh, it's like every night, and, and it's been fun for our kids. And uh, yesterday was the first, first game. And I have uh, a couple boys playing. One is Squire, and he's 12. And then I have a, an 8-year-old. Uh, is he 9 or is he 8? He's 9, sorry. <laughs> I have a nine-year-old son, Wyatt, and, um, and so uh, we have two different games at the same time in two different parts of the valley, and so anyways, I was watching Wyatt yesterday, and it's the first time Wyatt's ever played football, and uh, he started his, his first game, and he's the starting quarterback, and uh, he never played football before, and um, he is, he's got all of my absent-minded uh, lack of details traits. They all funneled completely into him. And uh, he gets it from me. And, and so he literally, I always say jokingly that he doesn't even know whose underwear he has on. And, uh, and he's out. He's the most unlikely person to know what's going on and to be calling the shots and to, to lead his team there. And, and yet his coach told him, uh, he said, man, coach, I'm kind of nervous. And he said, he said, if you weren't the right guy, I wouldn't have put you there. And I was thinking about that because, man, if I was choosing in my mind one of my two sons to be the quarterback and to be in charge, Squire definitely, he knows what he wants and he wants to tell everybody else what to do and, and, and why it's way more unlikely to be that guy. And yet, uh, did a great job. And had a lot of fun. And uh, both our kids won yesterday, and so it was a good way to start the season. But the most unlikely, and, and just like the coach said, if, if you weren't the right guy, I, I wouldn't have put you there. So, so take confidence in me as your coach. I see what you don't see. Just do what you're supposed to do and have fun. And, uh, and it was a good day. And so in the same way, we're talking about Moses. And, and Moses is is this guy in the Old Testament. He's a, he's a Jewish guy. He's a Hebrew guy. And circumstances were such that, that he got raised as an Egyptian in the house of the king, in the house of the pharaoh. And if you don't know the story, um, the people of Israel, they were in Egypt. They were in Egypt for, for really a total of 400 years. And I don't know if you remember how they got there. If you don't know the story, you definitely don't know how they got there. But they actually got there by the protection of God. Uh, there was a, a family, the family of Judah, and, and uh, they were rescued into Egypt in time of famine through the circumstances of Joseph. And, and really, they came into Egypt as, as a royal family. Joseph was the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. But, but the king changed, and the, de- the times changed, and, and God actually 
put them in difficulty to protect them. And I want you to think about that. Just the whole story, the whole setting of Moses' life and ministry was that God allowed the people of Israel to be enslaved for 400 years out of a desire to see them protected. Literally, the people of Egypt could not stand them. They hated them. They, they had all kinds of, of, uh, of terrible names for them. They hated the place they lived. They hated the way they smelled. And they were totally separate. And they went from being a family of 70 people to being a million people in the protection of, of being this estranged, slaved, enslaved group of aliens or group of foreigners there in Egypt. And, and it's really crazy the way God protects us sometimes. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like, God, what is going on? And how in the world can this be part of your plan? And how in the world can you be taking care of me in the midst of circumstances that feel terrible to me? So you, if you're anything like me, you want God to take care of you always in the context of onward and upward, always in the context of, man, things are going great. Well, the context of the story of Moses is that God was protecting them through their enslaved state. And as a nation, he grew them and they multiplied and they were a huge force to be reckoned with. And for years, people probably prayed, God, would you free us from this slavery? Would you free us from this situation? And we're going to find out today that God heard all along. And God cared all along, but the time wasn't just yet. So in comes Moses. And Moses was actually born in a time when the, uh, the, the king, the pharaoh, was doing away with all the, all the sons, all the, the young boys, and he wanted to have them all killed. And because they were multiplying too rapidly, and, and Moses was saved. And we heard a little bit about that last week. He was saved by, in the river. His mom sent him down the river in this little boat, and, and one of the princesses took him out of the water, and literally that's what his name means. It means to be taken out of, and we're going to come back to that. His name literally means, the, the name that his Egyptian adopted mom gave him means to be taken out of the water, to draw out of. And, and literally, God... God uses him to, to draw the people out of, out of Egypt. And, and Moses gets saved. And he grows up in the, the Pharaoh's house, and he's one of the Pharaoh's sons. Even though he's Hebrew and he's not quite one of the Egyptians, he's, he's the adopted son of Pharaoh. And, and Acts 7 tells us that he grew up and that he was a man powerful in action and powerful in speech. And Moses, this man, grows up and he's watching all the time his people, the people with his same skin color, with his same facial features, with his same accent, with his, his people enslaved all around him, being used by the pharaohs to, to build the mighty, mighty empire of Egypt. And the word tells us that when he was about 40... Now, I want you to think about that. It says that he grew up in 40 years. And the Bible just in one verse goes from when he was born and adopted and taken care of, and, and now he's 40. Now, you and I live in this world where there is so much emphasis on every moment, right? Uh, we communicate instantly. We, we just do. We expect, we even uh, in our staff, we have expectations for emails and texts. And, you know, if you get a text, there's an expectation within a couple of hours to reply. And, and then there's different kinds of emails you can get inside our staff where you have to reply that day or you have 24 hours to reply or 36 hours to reply, right? And so probably in your business, it's exactly the same. And you have, we just have this instantaneous timeline. And the Bible just skips over 40 years of life. It says, as he grew up, he was strong and powerful, and now he's 40 years old. You know, the, the people of Israel were enslaved for 400 years. Our nation as a whole is, is about 250 years old, right? Our nation as a whole is 250 years old. What do we just kind of assume as Americans? We kind of assume that, that we're going to be on the front edge of prosperity. And this, 
the recession and anything economic, it takes the wind out of our sails, right? Because we're supposed to be America. We're supposed to be secure. The dollar is supposed to be strong. Our investments are supposed to be sure. We, we're 250 years old and, and we feel like we are the country that, that everyone else should follow. We are the premier country in the world. And, and we all have these, we have these feelings and these thoughts and we're only 250 years old. Can you imagine, just put on the shoes of, of being a nation enslaved for 400 years. Everyone you know for the last 400 years of history, everything you learned from your parents, your grandparents, your grandparents' parents, everyone has been a slave. And they've worked just for their food and just for the privilege of living in a place. No one can remember the days before slavery. No one can see an end to it. It's a hopeless thing where the Egyptians are our masters. And into that, Moses is born. And he grows up in the Pharaoh's household. And, and Moses, at 40, he has some desires. He has some, some feelings about his people. He has some frustration with being this man with great, great wealth and great influence and great comfort. And yet his people all around are suffering. There are things that God's put on your heart. There are passions that God's put on your heart that you have for a reason. There are some of you who, um, even just this morning, we we're talking about, about sex trafficking. And some of you are super passionate about certain issues, like the trafficking of individuals. Or some of you are, are super passionate about seeing the gospel go out to a certain part of your community. And God has put you there and given you that passion in your place for this time. And Moses is 40. And, and he's frustrated. And he actually is going about the walk of his day and, and he sees an Egyptian. Okay, And Moses would have been dressed as a, a royal Egyptian. And he sees an Egyptian soldier or Egyptian guard disciplining and beating up a Hebrew slave. And it makes him angry. And, and all of his feeling about the enslavery of the people of Israel, he just lets it out and he kills the Egyptian and he buries him. And word gets out and, and the people hear about it and it spreads and it gets back to Pharaoh and, and Moses runs for his life. But you see, Moses... Moses has all of these right desires. Is it right for the people of Israel to be enslaved forever? No, it's not right. And is it right for Moses to have angst about that and anger about that? Yeah, it is. But did he handle it well? No, he didn't. How many of you have found yourself in a situation where God's given you passion and, and desire and you've seen something wrong and you went about it all the wrong way? Yeah, it happens all the time. You see someone that you're concerned about and, and they're, they're going further and further towards danger and, and you don't know what to do. And so you talk with 20 or 30 people about how this person's really on the edge of danger and you tell all the stuff that you know about them and you find out in the end, man, I haven't helped them at all and all I've done is gossiped about them all over the place. Or, or maybe you're... You're like Moses, and you're angry about something. And all that ends up coming out is all of your anger and all of your rage, and really none of the help that you desire to bring to the situation. And Moses is banished from, from Egypt. He actually runs uh, about 60 miles away into a place called Midian, and he's not so far away that the king of Egypt couldn't really find him if he wanted to, but, but he's basically banished from the land of Egypt. And, and the scriptures say, in fact, let me, let me read these. I don't know if these are on the screen or not. Um, it says in Exodus, 20, or Exodus 2, 21 to 22, it says this, uh, Moses, uh, Moses went to Midian, 
And actually, when he arrived in the town, he, he went to a well. And wells are the places where people congregate because there's water. And wells, people would congregate in the morning and people would congregate in the evening. In third world countries still today, people gather around the wells every morning and every evening because, because that's where everyone has to come. Um, and he arrives at a well and he meets a, uh, a group of, of sisters who are being, being oppressed by the, the shepherds. And he actually fights off the shepherds. Do you see the same, the same thing? The same anger, the same frustration, the same fighting for those who are weak and who are troubled. Moses does the same thing. And he, he fights off the shepherds. And, he, and then he helps the, the daughters, the sisters, to, uh, to get their water. And Moses... Moses is taken home and introduced to the father, introduced to Jethro, and, and it says that Jethro says, man, would you stay here? Would you become part of our family? And he gives his daughter in marriage to him, and, and this is what the scriptures say. It says, Moses was happy to accept the invitation. He settled down to live with them. Uh, he gave him one of his daughters, Zipporah, to be his wife. Uh, later, they had a baby boy. Moses named him Gershom, for he said, I have become a stranger, an alien in a foreign land. And Moses decides that this is his lot in life. He's become a foreigner in a new land. All right, are you up to, up to speed on the story? The man, grown up, in, grown up in Pharaoh's household, he knows that he's supposed to make a difference with the people of Israel who are enslaved. But he does it all the wrong way, and he ends up being banished out to Midian, And he ends up settling down and he says, I guess I'm just going to be a foreigner in a foreign land. I'm going to lead this life, not the life I thought I was supposed to lead. I'm going to lead this life. Have you ever settled? Have you ever gotten to the place where you, you know what you're called to, you know what you're supposed to do, and yet you, you mess it all up? You see failure time and time again, and you decide, I guess that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm intrigued by the the age that Moses is. He's 40. And so many of us, uh, in a few years I'm going to be 40, so many of us look at life, and, and I've seen so many people wrestle with this. In midlife, you know, we call it the midlife crisis. We call it a lot of different things. I know that I'm supposed to make a difference, but I end up settling. What were you supposed to do that you didn't do? What did you dream of doing that you never quite got around to? What were you sure that you were going to do? And it it just didn't work out. And so you've settled for less. Man, all of us have a few things just running through our head, don't we? You all know this song by Switchfoot. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? This is your life. Is it everything that you dreamed that it might be when the world was younger and you had everything to lose? Have you ever been in that spot where you actively knew that you were going to give up on what you were supposed to do? It's just too hard. It's just too far off. I'm too far down the stream the other direction. There's no way for me to fight back uphill at who I was called to be. And Moses settles in Midian. God has bigger plans and he knows what he's doing. But that death of a dream, man, there's something that just breaks inside of you. That's why some of us get so good at pointless things. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hobbies. Stuff that you know isn't supposed to be what you're all about, but it is. 
because what you are called to do is just too hard. And so it's so much easier for me to do this. I think I've told you before on a, on a simple level, when, uh, when I have a ton to do and I'm buried underneath, uh, when I'm buried underneath a workload and I'm late and it's like 11 o'clock at night and I still got a couple hours of work to do, like for some reason I, I need to clean my office. For some reason I need to sort the garage out. Um, I just need to do something that looks accomplished. Do you know what I mean? I just need to settle on something and say, I was good at that, and I organized that, and I accomplished that. Because it seems like the load ahead of me is unaccomplishable. And whether you're cleaning your kitchen, or sorting out the bills, or organizing your desk, it doesn't really matter that that's organized when everything else is a mess. But I find myself so prone to clean out the garage. Did it last night. (laughs) Is your life everything that you dreamed that it might be when the world was younger and you had everything to lose? And Moses settles. We're so prone to make such a mess of it. We've got a video of a couple of people, and man, I want you to enter in with them because their story is yours. It's a different plot, different details, but the same plot. Would you enter in with John and Jerry Lynn? into the mess that we make of life. Let's watch that. I mostly got married because I wanted to find love, and I thought that if I got married that I would feel loved. I quickly learned that that wasn't true. And over the course of the eight years of marriage, I ended up having almost a dozen affairs. And towards the end, I became so depressed and so empty and so alone that I decided I couldn't handle being married anymore, that I had to find something else out there to make me happy. I started using drugs and alcohol. Uh, I ended up robbing uh, pharmacies and so forth uh, for drugs. There came a day when um, I had gone through two bottles of vodka, and I had a 357, and somebody came into my house. I didn't know who they were, and I took a shot at them. I got to an extremely low place, and I had affair after affair, and I just kept getting lower and more desperate. I dated guy after guy and was very promiscuous and just desperately seeking for feeling better and I didn't find it. And they ran out of the house and I followed and when I got outside I saw numerous police cars around. I took a shot at one of the cars and I realized there was no way I could get out of this so I just started climbing the mountain to get away. One of the policemen uh, that had been following me up the hill had shot me. They life-flighted me to a hospital locally. Doctor told Melody that if she had a God to start praying to him, um, that I didn't have much chance to live. I had decided in my divorce that God didn't exist, that he wasn't, he couldn't possibly exist if he didn't help me with my fears and he didn't help me feel loved and he couldn't help me with my marriage uh, when I cried out to him that he wasn't there. So I believed he didn't exist. He was just a concept. And I was depressed for about two months. I felt like I was walking in cement. I felt hopeless and I just felt like giving up, like God wasn't doing anything to help me with this pain and this depression. The mess continued uh, for the next nine years. Everything seemed to be a struggle. Um, 
up to the day that our son committed suicide, which was devastating to us, I started drinking more. I drank about a bottle of vodka every day. And I saw no real purpose in life then. At that point, I knew that I didn't have any control over my circumstances or my life. Moses makes a mess of his life. And he ends up spending 40 years out in a town called Midian, out in the middle of the desert, as a shepherd. 40 years to work out exactly what John and Jerry Lynn are working out. And the conversations, the anger, the taking it out on the sheep that Moses must have done, walking through the desert, 40 years as a shepherd. And he's 80 years old. And we live in a day where 80, you're lucky if you get to 80. And yet it's at, at 80 years that, that God comes back in to Moses. We live in a day where uh, we expect to see change now. And we want maturity now. And we want production now. And God's okay with time. Have you found in some of your mess that while it doesn't seem like God orchestrated it, that, that God used it and shaped you? Could be that some of you are here and, and you don't even know how you got here and somebody asked you to be here. or You don't even know if there is a God and and you see in the pattern of your life that God's brought you to this point. And in the pattern of Moses' life, he had everything and he threw it away and, and somehow God used it. Forty years. And he's out with his sheep one day and, and he sees something Supernatural. On the hillside, he sees a, a bush on fire, which may or may not have been usual, but, but he sees a bush on fire, and it's burning a little differently, and it's not smoking the same way it normally does, and the flame is a little bit different, and, and it doesn't go out. And he sits and watches it for a while, and in chapter 3 of Exodus, you can, you can read about it, and he, he says... Man, I have got to see this. There's something supernatural there. There's something, there's something there. And this might be right where you're at. You might be in the middle of your mess. You might be 40 years into your mess. You might be three days into your mess. You might be 40 years into your mess. Like Moses was. And he sees something that can only be God. He doesn't know how to explain it. He doesn't know exactly what it is. But Moses, what he says is he says, I have got to go check that out. And I want to encourage you this morning. If, if you're in the middle of your mess and you, you have the gift of a burning bush, you have the gift of, of God showing up. And how does God show up? God sometimes shows up on a morning like this. This might be the kind of burning bush morning where you know that God is speaking to you. He could show up in the context of a friend. He could show up in the context of, of something you hear, a podcast or something on the radio. He could show up in the situations of life and you know that God just moved in that person's life. And, and I want to encourage you to do what Moses does because in the middle of his mess, he says, I have got to figure this out. I got to go there. I got to see this. And as he approaches it, a voice comes and it calls out to him and says, Moses, Moses, this is a holy moment. Take off your sandals. 
And it literally says that Moses gets down on his knees because he knows that God is moving. And I want you to know that you can be 40 years into your mess. And you and I don't know how many burning bushes that God had on the hillside before that Moses never noticed. But it says that Moses took attention to this one. See, the story that we're talking about this morning is that approaching God has nothing to do with you being cleaned up. It has nothing to do with you being amazing. It has everything to do with you being a train wreck and God being a hero. It has everything to do with God being the supernatural God who moves greatly, who uses people like you and I to do his work. And Moses approaches and he takes his sandals off and he gets before the Lord. Just like the clip we saw earlier, it has nothing to do, that movie had nothing to do with some great strong guy who was confident in himself. Some great hero that was strong and mighty and brave. It had to do with the most unlikely of people. And Moses was that person. And you are that person. In Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. Can you put that up on the screen? Colossians 1. It's supposed to be Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Let me, uh, let me get there. talking about God the Father he says for he has rescued us from the one who rules the kingdom of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son God purchased our freedom with his blood he's forgiven all of our sins God the hero sent his son he purchased us through the courage and the life and the death and the resurrection of his son, paid the price for our sins. The most unlikely of ways, God calls out to you and I not to be perfect people, but to come to him, to approach him and to say, oh God, I, I have to know what you're doing. And Moses at, at 80 is a different man than he was at at 40. Moses at 80 was humble and patient. He didn't think that he was the guy. At 40, he was sure that he was the guy. At 40, he was sure that he was the one and he was going to take it into his own hands and he was going to deliver his people his way. At 80, he doesn't know that he's the right guy for the job. In fact, he's sure that he isn't. In Acts, the word tells us that he was a powerful man with great influence and strong in speech. And at 80, he said, God, I'm no good at speaking. God, I'm I'm not the guy. And God uses people who are sure that they aren't the right one. I can't tell you how many times uh, here on a Sunday morning or even midweek or whatever, I hear about people who come to know Christ. And do you know who God uses almost always to bring new people to Christ? They're people who hardly know anything. They hardly know anything about Jesus. They just know, I, I, God has just totally changed my life. And I don't know how to describe it, and I don't, I don't really know all the answers, and I, all I know is I used to be like this, And now I believe in Jesus and my life is like this. Come with me. And and God uses the most unlikely of people. 
And the difficulty is that here as Christians in life, you know, we grow and we grow. We start walking with Jesus. We learn more and more about the word. We sit here in these seats, you and I both. We sit here longer and longer. We do church longer and longer. And somehow we think we're, we've more arrived than before. We feel like we're more useful than we were before. We, and instead, Moses, when, as he spends time with God, he's less and less sure. And God uses him more and more greatly. So I want to ask you, if you're here and you're a Christian today, has this process of, of spending time with Christ, has this, has this actually broken you like it broke Moses? Has it actually made you more humble and more willing? Or in your time with Christ, have you become more and more confident in your own relationship and less and less willing to serve him? I was talking with somebody uh, this last week, and I was talking about, uh, he's a younger guy, and uh, he's 24, and went to Bible school, and we were just talking about my experience from from 24 to 37, and, and I said, there are some things that you know right now, there are some things that you are committed to as a young man in Christ, you need to write them down. You need to write a letter to yourself and open it in 10 years. You know, Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, follow God in the days of your youth because the days grow evil. It's harder and harder. And, and if you've been walking with Christ for a while, you know that there are some things that you used to know and be completely committed to. And it gets harder and harder and harder to walk with Christ, to be committed with the same fervor to walking with him. That's why they say starting is simple and finishing well is what? It's hard. It's so easy to become more and more complacent. I want to encourage you when, you, when you know something, when you know something from God, man, commit it. Commit it to ink. Write it to yourself. Open the letter in 15 years and read what you wrote. Read what you knew. And at the same time, like Moses did, there are some things that you need to let God have some time with with repentance, with time. Say, God, would you use me? Would you humble me? Would you not make me harder and harder? Would you make me softer and softer? What does God do with our messes? He rescues us. He forgives us. He redeems us. He fills us. Paul said the same thing in 1 Timothy. He said, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service. He called him to be a hero. He, he says, I'm the most unlikely. He says, even though I once was a blasphemer, that word blasphemer sounds really churchy. That word blasphemer says literally, says that Jesus is not the son of God. It says that that Jesus was not God, to, to lie about God, to blaspheme. And so he says, that's what I used to do. He says, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, and I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul, as he pursued, as he pursued God as a Jew, he wanted, he wanted nothing to do with Christ. He said, there's no way Christ is the Messiah until he met Christ. And he says, I... I was a violent, violent man. So the grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly in 1 Timothy, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In Corinthians, uh, I want to read you this passage in Corinthians. And again, if you're here today um, and and you're, you're coming in and maybe you have a really religious background or, or maybe you're coming in and you just... You, you don't like the smell of religious people and you don't like the smell of church and the gospel, the good news of Christ is this. It, it's this very story of Moses that, that God actually, he doesn't, he doesn't take people who think that they're great. Um, 
He doesn't take people because they're so holy and so moral and so perfect. It's actually the exact opposite. Here's what he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, We know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds, um, but we who are being saved recognize the message is the very power of God. Uh, verse 20, it says, Where does this leave? And he basically says, Where does this leave the people who are confident in life? He says, Where, where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's most brilliant debaters, um, the rich, the powerful, the wise. He says, where does this leave them? Because God chooses the foolish things. Here's what he says. He said, God has made them all look foolish and shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. No matter what age we live in, there are smart people who are telling us all the time what is true about God, what is true about life, what is true about the meaning and the purpose of life. And he says, when you go there on your own in your own wisdom, when you are the strongest, the richest, the most powerful, he goes, God chooses the foolish way. And the foolish way is exactly this, that all of us are sinners and all of us need to be forgiven. And there's this very foolish thing that God has done. He sent his son literally to be our sacrifice, that he sent his son in flesh to live and to die on a tree and that anyone who would put their faith in him would be saved. It's absolutely ridiculous. In fact, Jesus says of himself in John 3, he says, I'm like the snake on the tree. You remember actually with Moses as the people left Egypt and we're going to get there in a couple weeks. There's a, there's a period of time where they were rebelling and angry against God and God allowed a group of snakes to come in and bite thousands of people, vipers, and they were, they were dying. And as, as miraculous as that sounds, there's thousands and thousands of people dying. And Jesus says, I am, I am like this situation where people are dying and they're lost. And if you're in a desert and you have poisonous venom in you, what do we all know is the worst thing to do? To go on a hike, Right? to go on a walk. And they cry out to Moses. They're like, Moses, what do we do? Because there's, there's literally a million Jews in the desert. And if you've ever been camping, a million people camping, it would take up a huge amount of land, right? Miles and miles. And there's people all over dying. And Jesus says, this is what me on the cross is like. Moses goes to God and he says, God, what do I do with all these people who are dying? dying? How do I save them? And do you know what God says? God says, Raise up on your stick a snake doll. And anyone who comes and looks at the snake doll and believes, they'll be healed. And so Moses makes a snake doll and he puts it on the stick. You've seen it on the side of an ambulance, right? The caduceus. We still use it today as a symbol for healing. And that sign raised up, on that, that doll raised up on the staff, he sent out the word to everyone. Okay, so here's how you get healed. I know we're in a desert. I know you have venom coursing through your veins, but if you've been bitten, here's what you need to do. You need to hike through to where I'm at, probably a mile, a couple miles, half a mile, through the desert, through the heat, and you need to come and you need to look at this snake doll, and that will heal you. If I'm in the desert and I have venom in me, I don't need a hike. I don't need a snake doll. I need a medevac. I need medicine. I need somebody to get the med. I don't need a snake doll. You see, it's foolish. It's absolutely ridiculous. And Jesus says, I am like a snake doll raised up in the wilderness. You have the venom, the death, the, the sin of the, reject, of the rebellion against God running through your veins. The, the Bible says that the penalty for sin is death. All of us are dead man walking. And he says, come to me and believe and you'll be saved. But it's foolishness. And God chooses the most unlikely. And he redeems them and he uses them. Let's watch the rest of the story.
daughter came up to me and, and my wife and said that she'd found this new church that had come to town, K2, and that we ought to go see what it was like. A friend told me about K2 and I came to K2 and the first service I was hooked. I, it felt like home. I remember the music was loud and I thought to myself, shouldn't they be singing hymns or something in here? The next week that I went, I heard Dave Nielsen speak and it was as though he was speaking to me directly. You could have an adventure with God, that you could have a relationship with God and that God loves each and every one of us. And things changed for me when I heard those things. I actually accepted it. I actually decided I did believe that Jesus was real and I felt very convicted of that and started to incorporate him into my life and learn what it meant to start to have a relationship with him. That was not something I was ever taught what it meant to actually have a relationship with Jesus. And so that's something that I found here at K2 and started my walk right there. So I got down on my knees and prayed to God, come into my life, take control of it and take it over for me. From that day forward, I had no desires or need to drink. And that's been over six years ago now. He has now opened the door for me to lead a break-free group, leading women who have had broken relationships and damaged hearts and are brokenhearted and are not whole and are seeking for fulfillment and happiness in all the wrong places and help point them to Christ and help them see that he does have a desire to help them believe they're loved and to help them be whole and complete. And since that day that I met God in this little red warehouse, people have talked to me many times about um, the biblical days and how God worked in people's lives back then. To me, I tell them, I think, that these are the biblical days, that God does work in our lives now, and that He loves people, and He helps them, He delivers them. I've now had a ministry that myself and a few other guys started about uh, for about five years now to help others in recovery from drugs and alcohol. And I've come to realize that if, if God can use me to help lead other people out of this chaos in their circumstances and lead them to Jesus, then I'll be there for them. unlikely of people God rescues and uses Jerry Lynn to lead other women to cling to Christ and not to find her significance in the arms of another man John to to find his identity and comfort in Jesus and not in another bottle you to lead other people to find their, their identity and their calling in Christ and not in your own comfort and your financial security. You to, to build others up and lead others to build others up and encourage others with your mouth and not tear them down. You to lead people to be gentle and not violent. You to lead others to, to encourage and build up their spouses instead of control them and manipulate them. The most unlikely of people. 
Some of you, that burning bush is today. You've been in the middle of your mess for so long and and this is a take your shoes off kind of day and moment. The band is going to lead us in worship and and I want to I really want to ask a couple different groups of you to to take your shoes off today. There are some of you who who know that God has called you and you have run and you've you've been in Midian, you've been in in the wilderness just shepherding sheep, just doing what you know how to do. You've been working it out for a long time and and though you know God, you you haven't you haven't said yes, God, in humility. And I want to encourage you to take your shoes off and to pray this morning. And some of you, like Jerry Lynn and John, they you just you haven't you haven't known what to do, you haven't known what to believe, and today you you want to believe. Today you want to do what the scriptures say. Here's what Paul says. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That same humility that Moses ended up with at 80. God, not me. I'm a mess. Paul says the same thing. I'm the worst. And God's grace came to me. So the trustworthy statement is that Christ came into the world to save sinners. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, that Jesus Jesus Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. If you're here and you're saying, God, not me. I'm too far down the river. There's no way. If you're here and you're saying, God, I I don't even know if you exist, and yet this... I want to believe, I want forgiveness. Today is the day for you to say, God, show me what's going on. God, show me, reveal yourself to me. I want to believe in you. So we're going to worship for a little bit and, and at the end of it, we're, I'm going to invite you forward to pray. Um, I'm inviting you forward to, to pray right here. Some of you today is a day where you say, I want to believe in Christ. Others of you, today is the day to say, yes, God, I'll follow you.